Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes! Caught Offside from just outside of New York City and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York, Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Oh, Andrew, I'm, I'm energized. I'm energized about this podcast. I'm energized about the short vacation a few days away that I just took. Um, I, th- this was an unbelievable weekend in the Premier League and now what is developing is a genuinely interesting top of the table race for the Champions League and for well for the title uh, all in and then an absolutely just mad mad relegation scrap uh, happening before our eyes it's uh it wasn't a good weekend for either me or you, but the league is just, uh, it's, it's, it, I think it's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. One of the most fascinating we, leagues we've had in a while. And um, yeah. And I returned to you from Cape May, New Jersey. I took a few days away. Been there many times. Indeed. And, and you would love it down there. It is an enclave, a bastion of Eagles football. I had no clue until I went down there. And, you know, it was frigid, brisk weather. It's a summer town, so it was very sparsely populated this weekend, uh, which was kind of nice. Uh, walks on the beach were, were a joy, albeit a frigid joy. And um, every person I met was wearing an eagle, some kind of eagle's paraphernalia. And they weren't even playing this weekend. They had the bye because they're the first round. Uh, they're the first seeds. And... Um, they, uh, yeah, Eagles beanies. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's that's firmly Eagles country. I mean, you're everything south of Atlantic City down the shore. Uh, generally speaking, in New Jersey, everything south of Trenton, uh, that's all that's Eagles territory. I, well, were, I, I mean, you were you were definitely in it. Yeah, I, I, I prob I hadn't I had lived on the shore for a while, but I hadn't really noticed it. And um, so I go out to watch the New York Giants last night, and their excellent uh, wild card victory over the hapless Vikings and you know a tight game very enjoyable and as I'm le- as, as, as the game's winding down there's some Eagles supporters leaving the bar and I'm wearing my Saquon Barkley jersey and very nice people one of them says oh we love Saquon I'm a Penn State fan as well you know he was one of our guys and he he pats me on the shoulder and he goes I'm glad you guys won though and I get a lot of this as the night winds down and it's because the Eagles are so cocksure that they're going to beat the Giants next weekend. Like it's it's unbelievable, and I've never felt so much loathing for a fan base, but also such genuine warmth towards nice people. It's very strange. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'd say that's that actually sounds like a f- the friendliest version of the rivalry that you can get. Well, I think if you're in the city itself, if you're in Philadelphia and the people are coming from the Pennsylvania side, from the countryside in, they're a different breed. <laughs> they are. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe some of it is where you were. Cape May, people are on little vacations. They're happy. They're in a good mood. They're not in the grind of the nine to five or whatever. So, you know, they can, they can afford to pat you on the back in that way. I will say I am not – look, I, I think the Eagles are better than the Giants, I, and I think Giants fans would readily admit that. However, 
it's one and done. It's a postseason format. Like I'm, I'm terrified. Like that yeah. maybe that's a loser's mentality, which very well might be a theme on this podcast tonight. Um, but no, that that's that's where I'm at. Obviously, I'm I'm full NFL right now. Uh, in fact, can we can we scrap the pod and just can we do an NFL podcast? Would that bother people if we broke format tonight? As we welcome in Troy Aikman. Troy, welcome. How are you? Uh, do you want to comment on Tottenham, Troy? Yeah, it's... Uh, it, look, we have to face uh, our team's demise over the weekend. I'll say this. Th- these podcasts are way easier for me to do when you are also in these dire straits. Oh, for yeah. years, For years, I had to kind of go it alone. Uh, as as you guys have been doing what you what Liverpool have been doing over the past several years and Tottenham have kind of the Mourinho years in particular were really hard on me and our relationship I think uh, those podcasts to, were rough <laughs> but to yeah. now have you kind of here with me in the mud in the dirt and we're kind of going through it together it, it it makes it easier now having said all of that I want to say something up front because I do think that there are some some utter fools and morons out there that need to hear this even though i feel like generally we're pretty fair i am not going to sit here and just whine about spurs and moan about arsenal being top of the table we're not and i think i can speak for you too with whatever is going on with liverpool right now you know and we're not gonna it's not gonna be a you know just a moan fest like i'm gonna uh, we can get into it right now with the north london derby i'm gonna talk up arsenal like, I don't have bad things to say about them. And I know that there are Arsenal fans that are chopping at the bit, ready for me to just smash their club and oh, be frustrated yeah. and cry about it. I saw the tweets. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I've ne- I've always been clear on where my loyalties are. I know I was clear a couple weeks ago saying, sh- if, if I have to decide between Man City or Arsenal winning the title, of course I want Man City to win the title. I'm a Tottenham fan. What the F do you think? Like, so the fact that there are people out there who can't wait to be angry about what I'm going to say, I'm sorry. Like, are here's my thoughts on Tottenham right now. They're not as good. They're not as good. They're a worse club right now. Arsenal are better. Man City are better. Manchester United are better. Newcastle. I mean, right now I can look at the table and I can look at Newcastle and I can say, okay, now that one frustrates me. I think man for man, Tottenham, I, I feel like should have the personnel to be able to go at it with that Newcastle side. But mm. they're not as good as these other clubs. Arsenal, right now, have passed them. Clearly. I can't say enough good things about what it is to watch Arsenal play right now. I, th- I think it was a very cheap uh, personal attack on you. Anybody at the weekend who was going at you as being some kind of Tottenham homer, just based on the, on the pods we've done before the World Cup and after. You've been completely effusive in your praise of Arsenal. You, uh, you know, even coming out of the documentary, you talked about how much you liked some, some of their characters, just based I on say, what... I say, what have I said? I've, I've repeated it week after week, JJ. Arteta... People have, have sat on other podcasts and other shows and made fun of some of the, the speeches that he did. What have I said week after week on this show? Yeah. I'd play for that guy. Yeah. I would play my hardest for that guy. And, and also, I wanted to dispel any rumors that that was you that ran down the seats and attempted to kick Aaron Ramsdale. Attempted? I mean, well, I mean, kicked. Looked like well, you got I, shouldn't even, I shouldn't even make fun of that. That was, that was one Disgraceful. of the most... But it was so such an embarrassing thing to do as well for him because 
the minute he he connected the kick, he was like, Ugh. and then he was scampering up the seats like a little rat, you know, trying to pull up. And by, by the way, talk about the f- phones have changed everything. He's been videoed by his own supporters in his end, and and oh, they're right done. to they are well done, and they're right to out him. But yes. if he if he thought he had any. Um, uh, what, what would you call it? Kind of sucker or 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 escape amongst his own? No, they were ready to absolutely out him. Um, yeah, and look, that that's a lot of what my my like frustrations right here at the top of the podcast are based around. Is it's really one guy on Twitter who I don't usually engage in this stuff, and like I don't mind when we, people he, have a problem with my opinions or whatever. Like that's part of all this is like we're going to disagree with opinions, but there's one guy who's. But, who tweets a video of that and then is just repeating tweet after tweet saying at a gunling condones this at a gunling endorses this behavior at a gunling endorses this no i don't no that guy's an idiot whoever did that when have i come on this podcast and said that i endorse that kind of behavior get the police involved if you should be arrested he should never go to a game again like what else do you need me to say you want me to fly to london myself and arrest him like what else can i do i endorse this behavior get out of here don't don't listen to the pod anymore if if you you spent any time with that guy though i went by i mean any time i mean any twitter interaction time with that guy in fairness to him, and he knows it himself because he's admitted it. Like he, he, he just gets wound up. He's convinced the world is against Arsenal. He's convinced, like for years, he's been that way. Like, and there's always some kind of conspiracy, and everything that's done, that, you know, even the most routine like infraction, you know, all oh, that tackle could have gone one way or the other. No, no, no. It's it's always against Arsenal. And the guy, in fairness, um, I think it was. I can't remember when it was. Maybe it was a few months ago, he like sent us a DM, kind of just like, like kind of, you know, not quite apologizing, but kind of owning his own behavior. Like, so he's always looking for some. Like, in that instance, he create. You didn't even say any of those things. No. He just, yeah, he just decided to get angry. I think he. That's the space he needs to live in online. You know, and he wouldn't be the other one, the only one either in that regard. Um, I, no, I, and I'm not. I don't know. Not, I don't know what else. To, how how much more effusive a Tottenham supporter can be of Arsenal than I have been over the course of the season, but whatever. I don't even need to talk about it anymore. Yeah. We'll talk about the game. Um, can I seen- get just on the game? Just just quickly on the game, Andrew. Um, you know, you say, oh, I'm not mad. These teams are just better than Arsenal right well, now. I am and mad. I am mad. Are, are better I than- I'm mad. Of course I'm mad. Right, but you said, you know, these teams are just better than Tottenham right now, and, and I can accept that to an extent. But... Like, you look at the goals. Like, the first goal yeah. is so inconceivably weird and but, stupid. But, JJ, this is... But but bad teams do these things. Bah, bah, they don't, Andrew. Like, but Tottenham team, do. They lead the Premier League this season in... in uh, I forget the term. In, in errors directly leading to goals. Okay. They lead the league. So it's part of who they are. All right. Okay, fair enough. And you know what I think of Hugo Lloris. But he's been know, a great goalkeeper for Tottenham for a generation. But he's not that guy anymore. He makes okay. mistakes in big moments. He just does. Okay, so, that, so that, like you can say, yes, that goal was was ridiculous that that goal could have happened. But like, it's, it, he's he's good for a mistake. Yeah, he I just mean, is I, now. I mean, just from a from a physics standpoint, how he's batted the ball in from the angle it's coming at is truly unbelievable. If he tried to do that, he wouldn't be able to do it again. Crazy goal. Now I will say, I there think was he a, could find a way. I think he could do it again because I've seen it happen. Multiple there was times. a systems failure down the right. Uh, the the 
Tottenham left again. Sessegnon out of position, ball in behind. I mean, that was waiting to happen. Bad game, Hor- bad game for him. Kind Horrible. Of, in, in some ways, I would almost say like uh, you don't want to take one game and use it to like cast aspersions on a player, but I don't know. Sometimes you kind of have an eye opener of a performance, and you're just you watch it and you're kind of like, okay, I've seen him play well in stretches, but you watch that against Arsenal in that yeah. big moment, uh, and you know both moments like that in defense in attack all that space you got to play in a, a ball and he kind of scuffs one right to the arsenal defense and you kind of watch and you're like you know what like this is kind of why tottenham are where they are like they just have certain players that if they think that they're a title contender well title contenders don't really have the, that guy who's just like an average player and I- uh, so but uh, before we even like we're doing all this on tottenham i didn't want to start with tottenham i, I really would prefer to start with arsenal okay. in this and just say that and we'll get back to spurs i'm sure but like with arsenal I, i've heard this one line used over and over so it might feel like a cliche at this point but i'll say it again because it was exactly what i thought watching this game it was like they had 14 guys out there I mean, it really felt like mm. they were playing with more players than what Tottenham had out on that field. Yeah. Every every player for Spurs that touched the ball, there was a guy on him. Every pass that Arsenal made, it just felt like there was space. Tottenham couldn't, once again, week after week we see it, and teams just have, they have it down now that like, you know, keep you can keep Tottenham penned into their own half in, in the first half of a game. Yeah. They can't break through. They don't really try to. Uh, and Arsenal just did that. Um, and you're right. In the end, it wasn't necessarily like intricate moves that broke Spurs down. Oh. Um, like you said, it was it was a ridiculous own goal by a goalkeeper. And it was a, a turnover from Spurs that just like led to all this space for Odegaard to dribble into. And no one really picked him up. He had his time. He had time to, to pick out the corner, fired one past Lloris. I know you suggested maybe Lloris could have done better on that one, too. Maybe he, he loses the benefit of the doubt with me. I mean, I watched it a couple times and thought, eh, it's Odegaard had a lot of time, good velocity. It was low, relatively in the corner. I don't know if I, if I would kill the goalkeeper still. for it. Yeah, Two, it did, but d- some, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll, I'll spare Lloris that one. Um, well, I, but, I don't spare him because... Again, and it's just, it speaks to the cluelessness of Tottenham. First of all, again, let's, I want to keep Arsenal center, central to this. The biggest <laughs> we praise. We keep sliding back to the, to the low I points. I know, but it was. Uh, I, Arsenal, you're right. Don't even fight it. Go on, kill them. The, the, the thing about it for me was that Arsenal were so in control and they never allowed, they never allowed Tottenham to create a game state where it was fractious. It was end to end. Like Tottenham had a few minutes uh, in, in, in the start of the second half, Arsenal dealt with it comfortably. Ramsdale made a couple of good saves, but they're the kind of saves you'd expect to make in a derby game or expect to have to make in a derby game. You know, but Arsenal generally made it look so easy. So easy. And that goal, like Jesus Christ, Conte is this like manager who has spoken of in the highest regard. So Lloris has the ball and and he can see that there's nothing really on to go short. So he just balloons it down the field. Now, if you're going to do that in the modern game, it was always the case. But now, particularly when that long punt down the field is so kind of, it's gone out of the game, really. You want something really accurate or you want something short. That's generally what's happening. He just booms it. Okay, the next thing that has to happen is Tottenham's midfield has to be alive, win that second ball. 
Not a chance. They're second to it. I think it's Thomas Partey gets the ball. And then three Spurs players run at him and he's okay. Whoop! Sends the ball in behind to Saka and they're away to the races. Slots it into Odegaard and we know what happens then. Like it was just so clinical from Arsenal, which I give them credit for, but so inept. So truly inept from Tottenham. Like you're not just saying that they're bad to watch. They are bad to watch. Mm. But, you know... Conte's had teams before that have been difficult to watch or you know but he's create you supporters won't accept difficult to watch if you're still getting beaten they just won't and we saw it under Mourinho we're now seeing it under Conte and um oh god yeah but all credit to Arsenal that that game there's the potential for that game to be a massive banana skin but now you look at Arsenal and the way they dealt with that, and that's, dare I say it, the kind of the form of of a champion that they go 100%. to. They go to a game like that, and they just break it down to its core elements. Let's score two and shut it down. And it was, um, it was a very mature performance for a team that is not really mature at all. So I, I think in a game like this one, they prove two things to themselves. Most importantly, one that they can they can continue to score goals and generate opportunities to score goals without Gabriel Jesus in the lineup. I think that they have now proven to themselves that yes, if, if he's there it's an added bonus, but we can win without him. He's not he was he started well this season, he tailed off a little bit, they kept winning, now he's not there and they continue to win and it still looks beautiful in watching them play. They've proven to themselves that their big signing from this from the past summer transfer window, they can win without him. They're fine. Uh, Eddie Nketiah can step in, and he can be dangerous as well. Probably should have scored when Lloris made a mistake, recovered, made a nice save on him early in the game, yeah. like the eighth minute or whatever it was. Um, that's huge. And I think the other thing, and this is still this is still bearing itself out, but like you said, you used the term just now, this was a potential banana skin. Arsenal, you know, for years now, to no avail, but, you know, in this current era of Arsenal, they've been the chaser, not the chasee. It's a different beast to be the team that everybody's looking up at, especially when Manchester City are the team looking up at you and are trying to get hot on your on your your heels to catch you. Um, that, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. Uh, Arsenal are not showing that. They seem to be entirely unfazed of being in this position. Uh, going to Spurs in a huge rivalry match. There's pressure there associated with that. Being in first place with teams chasing you. Tottenham, the team that you're playing in this game, being one of them. There's pressure attached to that. And it does not seem to be bothering them in any way. And I think you know a lot of that, obviously, you give credit to the players. You know that I always kind of think that sometimes we forget about how important players are in the equation. But really, I mean, to me, that's a mentality thing. And mentality stuff for me starts with the manager. It's Arteta. This team is just taking on his personality. They've completely bought in to this guy. Um, and so, I mean, total total respect to them, total props to them. And even if you want to talk about some of the stuff that happened after the game, um, again, like, yeah, look, as a Tottenham fan, sure, Aaron Ramsdale is not my favorite player right now. But by the same token, I don't really have a problem with what he did. If you you know he's in front of that Tottenham wall for 45 minutes in front of an angry crowd, God only knows the things that were being said to him. He talked about it a little bit after the game. It was probably a bloodbath in terms of what was being said. And right. he didn't do anything that bad. He didn't take his water bottle and throw it at the crowd or squirt anybody. He just kind of, what do you do? He stuck, stuck his tongue out or something like that? Like, yeah, a bit of gurning, I think. It's a rivalry. 
It's a rivalry. I've seen, you know, Eric Dyer score a goal for Tottenham at Arsenal and then go right up to the away end and shush the crowd. You know, I, this stuff happens in a rivalry. It's not an excuse for a guy to come down out of the stands and kick him. No. You know, like, and, and it's not to be put on Ramsdale for inciting the crowd. If they're going to give it to him for 45 minutes, he's allowed to, to turn around after they win and do something like that. It's fine. St- po- Honestly, like take a step back, everyone. From like, I know we treat this stuff like it's politics, like it's life and death. And I know that to us, it, it means a ton. We're sitting here. Look, it's part of our livelihood. We're doing a podcast on it. But ultimately, it's sports. It's sports. It's a you game. A- and like, guys should be able to like to to mess with the crowd like that without it turning into a, a major incident. Did you see Arteta run sprinting after uh, Granite Jacket to get him out of the? He's walking by and he sees Xhaka going in the other direction and he just goes, oh, and he just runs after. Because he knows what's at stake. He's not, he can't afford to lose some guy to a multi-game suspension for fighting with a fan when they're, when they're in first place trying to nurse a lead over Manchester yeah, City. It's the I right was, thing. He should. So, and I, it's just because it went viral. And I, I do wonder if Richard Keyes is out in Qatar just trolling all of us. You know, because he's lost that, like, like for the last decade, he's been in the wilderness. But he not, now through the power of the viral YouTube clip and the Twitter clip that he can get to us, he can get back into our brains. He's been banging the drum about uh, Mikel Arteta being the instigator and the cause of, because of his antics on the sideline, that he sets the example and sets the tone that feeds onto the pitch. Um, here's him having another go at Arteta on BN Sports after the game at the weekend. Ramsdale has got form of winding supporters up and apparently has been having an exchange during the course of that second half with those Tottenham fans. Uh, ben White as well, who was over there, uh, you know, 2-0 to, to Arsenal. Now, you know that... Richard, Richard, right. As footballers, you get battered from the terraces. I, I you understand. get battered. I've been called every, yeah, every name under the sun. That doesn't mean to say, sun. Jason, you can react to that. And, no, and no there's, a, there's an element of reaction, but of course, the, we don't know his, his, his way of winding them up. He might have just been giving them a, a, a 2-0. He might have just been doing that. Like, so, you know, there's, there's a line. My fear is, you can't and I've be said punched. it for a long time now, that the guy in the middle there is the one that's most to blame for the inflammatory behaviour touchline that winds people up. And, and if he's not behaving himself, then it's likely that others in his team are not going to either, who ultimately then becomes the master of the discipline. There isn't anyone. So, um, so I, 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 I mean, like, I, I disagree. Yeah. Like, I really do. I mean, does, does he have this opinion of Klopp? Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing. Like, does, like, Klopp's behavior on the sideline doesn't bleed into Liverpool on the pitch into any indiscipline. And, like, Ferguson... Fergie used to be ranting and raving on the sideline and I don't think I think his influence was felt on the field but I don't think it was negative and you look at Arsene Wenger Arsene Wenger presided over one of the the toughest (laughs) at times most indisciplined sides in Arsenal's history certainly in terms of Patrick Vieira and and Wenger wasn't a vocal or, or crazy presence on the sideline generally speaking you know, so I don't. I I just think it's nonsense. I'm curious as to why Keys keeps going on about Arteta. Like he hyper focused on him. When, if anything, you know, like I said before, if you're starting uh, to to rein managers in over the behavior on the sidelines, you don't start with Arteta. There's 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 other managers you can go to. I think I think it's. Uh, 
And it's not like Alan Pardew. You remember the time he got into it with who was it? The whole yeah, city he player. Someone. Yeah, he, he right. grabbed. Um, I can't remember who was the whole city player. I'll, I'll find it. Keep talking. Yeah, uh, around the neck. Like it's not. So so Keys was talking two three weeks ago. In fact, he tweets regularly about about something has to be done about this man because Arteta's out of his technical area and he's you know. And look, Arteta is about as lively as you're going to get on the sideline. He's he's super animated, as you'd expect from one of the younger managers and a guy who's. You know, I look at him sometimes and think he could still do a job in midfield for somebody. David Myler, by the way. Oh, David Myler. That's he headbutted right, yeah. him. Party headbutted him. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like that. I'm just aye, wondering aye, what, aye. what what is. I mean, you remember Martin Keown. You remember Tony Adams, Patrick Vieira, Nigel Winterburn. Like the way they used to act on the field. Like it had nothing to do with the manager. So yeah. no, I, 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 I. Yeah, I I reject. His, he's entitled to his opinion. I reject it. I don't buy it. Um, yeah, I, I don't see that. I'd love to know what where it's coming from. I'm I'm going to try and find that out. Like wh- um, a couple other things on this game before we move on to some right. of the others, because God knows there's there's an awful lot to talk about elsewhere. Um, but but two other things. As, as for Tottenham, I mean, I, I will say this: um, it's become almost frustrating because, like, I don't even know. I don't know who to be mad at anymore. Like. It's everyone. Everyone is to blame here. Obviously, whatever Antonio Conte is trying to do, it's not working. And I can't watch another first half of this team. I can't watch. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know why every first half looks the same as the ones before. Um, You would think such a brilliant manager as we've been told he is and at times has revealed himself to be, you would think at some point he would change something. Uh, I, I just can't understand how this would continue the way that it has. Maybe he has tried to change things and these players aren't capable uh, because that is certainly part of the problem too. There are players on this team that aren't really good enough. Um, they're dealing with some injuries. You know, Bentoncourt being out is killing them. He's probably been their best player so far this season. At least he was when he was healthy. So I don't know. Be, I guess just be mad at everyone. Uh I don't know where this is headed. I don't know that there's any transfer. You know, obviously everybody wants them to spend, outspend these problems. Yeah, I get that. Like, get better. Get better players. Of course, that that helps. I don't see any singular move that is really going to dramatically alter the trajectory of where they're at. I kind of, I'm kind of settling into this place, JJ, that this is this is who they are. You can only be a team for so many years before we have to accept that that's, this is who they are. Mm. Like Some years they'll be good enough and they'll qualify for Champions League and they'll make a run into the knockout stage. Who knows? It could be a lot of fun. Some years they're just not going to be. They're going to finish fifth, sixth. This is, this is who they are. I don't know what changes this. Uh, oh, fire Conte, bring back Poch. I don't know. Maybe that works for a little bit. I, I don't know. They got look like maybe they have to get lucky again. Harry Kane was a stroke of pure luck that that he turned into the player he was that ushered in this era for Tottenham. Uh, maybe that's got to happen again with some other guy who we don't even know who he is right now. I don't know. Um, you know, club there, there's fans of Everton and other clubs that are that are probably cursing me out right now, saying, "How dare you be so frustrated with a club for contending for a Champions League place?" You're right. I get it. There's worse places to be. It's just frustrating when you see a club like Arsenal, who you know have not been crazy in the transfer windows and 
who Tottenham have been better than for for a number of years now. It's frustrating to see a club like that surpass them in such a dramatic way. You can understand it when it's Manchester City, when it's Chelsea spending the kind of money that they're spending. Um, so yeah, that's, there's an element of frustration that Tottenham sort of had their years and they and in terms of trophies won, they squandered it. Um, so I I don't know. I, I don't know really where they go from here. Um, I think for the remainder of this season, this is this is what they are, and I think you got to almost go into matches expecting this. This, it's not. I don't see a sudden, a sudden change. It's the sample size is large enough. Well, right let's now. leave this and be be fair to Arsenal. Let's leave it on an Arsenal note. Champions elect. Uh, yeah, right. Like, I mean, champions elect. I guess is boy that Quite that strong. is really. You know what? I don't know that I. Look, they're the obvious favorites. They have to be considered the favorites, of course. You'd be, you'd be a complete fool to not see that. The way they're playing, the gap that they've established between them and and Manchester City. Um, the only reason for me, it's hard to get to champions elect. Boy, that's a that's a powerful thing to say. Uh, it's only because I just haven't seen them do it before. I mean, if this were Man City, I suppose, or Liverpool with the same lead, maybe I'd be more comfortable saying it because I, I've just seen them do it. Um, Arsenal, I guess I'll just have to, you know, all, all signs are pointing to the fact, like I said before, that this team is is capable of handling the stress of being the team that everybody's chasing. So, yeah, if I were if I were putting money down right now, I would bet Arsenal to win the title. Oh, I, absolutely, I would. Probably a decent sum of money at that. Uh but man, champions elect, you're kind of ending it, I feel like, with a statement now, like that. Especially with United to come at the weekend. Yeah, I, uh, I, can't, I can't get to the place and say that the title race is over. And champions elect, to me, means that. It uh, does, so, yeah. It's, I, it's so bad I, phraseology for me, really, isn't it? It's pretty poor. No, but I mean, that is a fr- like, that's an interesting question. Because if it were, man- honestly, this is no offense to Arsenal, but if it were Man City in the same position, winning at the rate that Arsenal are winning, with a gap over their nearest competitors behind them being what this current gap is you might say that and you might feel more comfortable in saying it because we're so accustomed to seeing manchester city do it and finish the job we just it's no fault of their own we just haven't seen arsenal do it yet one other note uh before we move off this jj um they miss out on mikhailo mudrick which i think came as a really big surprise to a lot of people it seemed like arsenal were the favorites and then chelsea swoop in and they grab him fabrizio romano tweeted this about it he said um arsenal wanted him as pri- as priority but they feel they did their best to sign mudrick with a huge bid arsenal have been clear in the last two years no bidding wars respecting the club's strategy and no panic as with vlahovic rafinha lissandro this is their way um this to me is a fascinating topic of conversation because this is one of those things that you can mold this into whatever you want it to be. If they don't get involved in bidding wars and they keep winning, then you know what? Credit to them. They stuck to their guns. They weren't going to break and overspend. This is how they do things. They do what the art. They have a way of, of managing their, their business. Good for them. If they fall apart and you know Man City or United or whoever wind up catching them or surpassing them, this will be used against them. Yeah. Like I've been saying for weeks now is this is your last chance. Like this is going to be a fight to the finish, even with the the point gap that they have right now. This was their chance. Okay, you don't want to get involved in bidding wars. I understand that. No one wants to overpay. But you don't know how often these opportunities are going to come around where you are, like you just said, JJ, the fact that we're even having the conversation about champions elect. 
This is a position that they didn't think they would be in. So don't get involved in bidding wars. Fair enough. But if this goes south and you had a chance to get this player who presumably could have helped them in a, in a major way, this will be used against them, that they didn't go for it the way that maybe they should have. It was interesting. I, I have, like, I, I think very highly of him from the three, four games I've seen Mudrick play. That's not a big sample size. No. And so there was a stats bomb, one of those circular graphs that stats bomb do with the, the, the key statistics for him, and they're not good. I'm not saying he's not a good player. I, I, I would have signed him. I would have loved to see him go to Liverpool. But he is far from the finished article, and his production is not what you would want to be spending 100 million or whatever it is um, Chelsea have done to, to spread out over an eight-and-a-half-year contract. So, so again, that must be some way of attempting to get around financial fair play um, because like that, that's monstrous, that contract. But... Um, uh, and I'm sure it involves the words amortization as well, which is um, something that we'd need to get Swiss Ramble on to explain that one. But um, yeah, the stats weren't were not that good, and I think Arsenal will be okay, okay with letting this one go. Like like you said, if that's their policy, and they're not going to get into a bidding war, I think they'll be all right with letting this one go, despite how much. I think of him and apparently Todd Bowley thinks of him as well. Uh, yeah, he really does. What are Chelsea? I mean, Chelsea right now. Um, Zito, <laughs> Zito's tweets uh, keep coming up with this podcast, but this is a golden one. So when Fabrizio Romano says, Chelsea board now in Poland trying to reach verbal agreement with Shakhtar for Mudrik and hijack the deal. Official bid ready, close to 100 million. Um, and Zito goes... Todd really just goes after everyone other clubs seem interested in. Interested in what a loser! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, loved, I just love the idea of uh, floppy-haired billionaires being called losers. Um, but yeah, I saw uh, Flav Bateman, who hosts the Fighting Cock Tottenham podcast. He wrote about this, which I thought was interesting. He said, "How Chelsea signed Mudrick for ninety million, given the two hundred fifty million they spent in the summer and remain compliant with FFP, is beyond me. Plus the nine million they paid for twenty-one games of Jao Felix. At some point, this will come back to bite. Mad spending for what? Fifth this season? <laughs> I mean, I kind of get if, what he's saying. If if Chelsea, and it, they might do it, although the win that Potter got against Crystal Palace, albeit not a good performance, but a no. great win." If things like say if Todd decides I'm I'm firing Potter, tell me what the difference between this and Abramovich is. Apart from the money's not coming from more questionable uh, enterprises. Yeah, there is definitely an element of meet the new boss, same as the old boss. If that happens, it may not. I don't think it will. I don't. Think no, I and I I uh, you know I um I give a lot of credit to to Todd. I love calling him Todd. There's something so demeaning about that name. Isn't there? Why do you why do you you hate this guy? Why? Because he's a billionaire. Um, I, I just the way he came in and immediately paid over the odds, and then immediately got upset that his his profits can't be ring fenced. Like immediately got annoyed and started spitting out ideas, you know, because he hated the idea of the solidarity payments going down the league. So he's like, straight away, let's come up with any other way that I don't have to put my hand into my pocket. Like it's it's classic American billionaire uh, knows a little bit about soccer, thinks he should be involved in it because that's where it's at. Gets involved 
and immediately thinks this is some weirdo stuff that I, and and how dare they ask me to pay money you know what he wants is the NFL in Europe that's what Bowley wants that's what FSG want and that's what the Glazers want they don't want they want to know they want to have projected revenues that they can talk about 10 years from now <laughs> they don't want to be giving money to Ipswich town to stay afloat they don't want to be doing that. They don't want to be losing money because they may get relegated or they aren't finishing the top four. They don't want any of that. That is a complete anathema to the way they've conducted their business lives for decades. So, But it is funny, though, because it does exist in baseball. I mean, their revenue sharing is a huge part of, of Major League Baseball. Uh, so it's not like it's, but a, it's an no, entirely no, foreign it's concept. No, it's not. What are you talking Revenue about? Revenue sharing? Revenue the sharing. The Yankees, is absolutely. The money that the Yankees makes, it's spread out all throughout Major League Baseball. Uh, thank you. All throughout Major League Baseball. All throughout right. the other friends that have come together to ring fence their profit. It's not like it's going to the local AAA team or whatever. Like, uh, well, well essentially it can. It, it is because I they're mean, affiliated. But if, if there was a, if there was a, a non-Major League if there was a baseball pyramid, Andrew, and none of these teams were all affiliated with the other major league teams, they would not be giving money but, to them. But the idea is the same. I, I'm just saying, look, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just saying it's not an entirely foreign concept to American sports. The idea of um, one team making a ton of money and then taking some of that money and giving it to teams that don't make as much money exists in American sports. It does. John Henry sees that most people tune in for the top six teams, and he cannot understand cannot fathom why they don't get everything these are the same people that negotiated a much higher cut for themselves in the tv rights uh, the last tv rights deal in 2016 um where they they basically said well the top six are going to have way more money so like don't don't talk to me about these they, they have no interest in anything other than than profit and um and todd's really really uh really really spending the cash to make sure that dream comes true uh, let's talk now about, I guess, well, you want to start with John Henry's club? I mean, you, you've, on the rundown here, you've referred to Mercy side as misery side. Well, it's obvious. I mean, it's obvious. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's some tabloid or some other radio show or TV show out there that's used the term misery side. It's just easy. Nope. This is the nope. first. Okay. Um, I, I got in my feelings there, uh watching Liverpool be so totally and utterly outplayed by Desherby's Brighton. And if we're if we're gonna give our, our flowers to to Arsenal, we, we should start with Brighton, Andrew. Like the the Brighton side, uh Saicedo, uh McAllister, Matoma, another perform like Matoma is just tearing it up. Solly March and uh, and the young Evan Ferguson. Brilliant performances from Brighton. They were so far the better team. Like 3-0 flattered Liverpool. It really did. This was a total and utter mess. And of late, I've been going to way more than I did when Liverpool were really good and winning in Europe and winning in, in, in domestically. I've gone to the Anfield Rap, the, uh, the supporters-led uh, platform and app and for their post-match reactions. And... They can't figure this out either. I mean, this is a team that was going for four trophies last spring, uh, an unprecedented quadruple, and now is just really, really struggling and won't, at this point, I don't think they'll make the top four. I kind of have a hard time, though, with, with what you say there, that, like, no one can figure this out. I mean, 
Well, I'd no, have the to fall go, off. The fall, well, I think I, I think mean, we it, can. It's to, a steep fall off, but like uh, I mean, look, I'd have to go back to some of our earlier podcasts this season and find the exact wording. But like, I feel like I remember myself, maybe you, also suggesting that like the pace that Liverpool have been going at for the last several seasons is not sustainable for a normal club. Like we've mm. said, Manchester City are not a normal club. We talk all the time about their bench, that their bench would be considered, a, would be a top four team in the Premier League. So they can sustain it. But like, I don't know. To me, it's not, yeah, this is this is maybe a little bit jarring in in the steepness of the decline. But like for them not to be in the title race, for them to be battling for top four, I think this is this is a little bit normal. I think if, uh, I, I don't know. I, I hear I hear what you're saying, but I think that everything is going wrong for this team. Like everything defensively. Like look at Matip his giveaway for the first goal. I look at Kanati against Brentford. Robertson had a shocker at the weekend. Absolute shocker. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold was good in, in, in the offensive things, although Liverpool were a mess offensively, but he played in a few nice balls, was bad in the defensive side of things. You look at the midfield, this is a midfield that should, probably should have been broken up ages ago. Henderson, Fabinho, Axley, Chamberlain. Like, they have too many miles on the clock. Mm-hmm. Like, it's... I, um, I went back to Marty's... Uh, meditation on life from True Detective 1 I've, I've used this before uh, when I'm talking about the US men's national team actually and uh, I, I reworked it for Liverpool and some people thought I you know completely lost my mind at the weekend but I tweeted out you know the good years when you're in them or you just wait for them until you get beaten 3-0 by Brighton and realise that the good years came and went the feeling like life has slipped through your fingers like the future is behind you like it's always been behind you I, I think um I think the good years we got out of this team, the Champions League, the Premier League, even the Cups last season, the two, like the, the really close title races with City, there was always this sense with Liverpool. But yeah, but, but now we've done that and then we're, we're going to go again. But we're not going to keep going again. It's too hard. There's too many miles on the clock. There hasn't been enough replenishment. The centre of that midfield, Andrew. It's Fabinho just looks. They look. They look seven, eight yards off it. Not a yard. I, I, I don't know if I can quite get to where you're in a dark. You're in a dark place. Uh, no, if I, I, were I next think to you right now. I'd, be, I'd put my arm around you and I, I'd embrace you. Okay, because I feel for you. Um, I, I think that. I guess the conversation, and this could probably be a, a pod unto itself if we were doing a Liverpool-specific podcast, is the is the question of whether or not this year is a reset or the sign of the end of an era. Right now, what you're saying is you're telling me this is the end of an era. I can't 100%. get I can't get to that place yet. I've so got you, too you much think faith Fabinho in Klopp and Henderson, and I don't Thiago. I don't believe that that will be their midfield going forward. I think this year could be a reset in that. That's you know, not a reset. That's a rebuild. If that's not the midfield, who? But, who are you but, but Liverpool. But Liverpool don't need to rebuild. They can. I'm saying like they can go out. Look, we'll see what happens with Jude Bellingham. It, it signs right now seem to be pointing to him going to Real Madrid, but we don't know. Liverpool's name has been mentioned almost just as much. Like I'm saying, th- they can spend to a place where 
they can bring in a guy and it doesn't a rebuild would be okay we're going to suck for a while as we bring in youth players as we you know tinker we change managers i don't know that they need to do that because i think for them uh, some of the problems are are obvious like if you if you've identified the midfield well that's like that sucks right now when you're going through it but ultimately that's good that's a good thing that you can look at that area of the field and say okay this is where this is where the problem is you know, like the thing that I'd be worried about, because I think that that's fixable. I, I do. I think that they can, they have smart people in that club. I know they've moved away from analytics a little bit, which would scare me a little. In well, terms they of haven't moved away. It appears as if the guys that ran it have moved away. Well, th- yeah, phrase it however you want. I just mean, I guess, the, the club's philosophy. Uh, that would worry me a little bit. Um, but ultimately, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's just like I sort of have a, a bit of blind faith in Jurgen Klopp. Um, that like I think that they can identify the right people to come in and fix that, and he can coach them up because he's a brilliant manager. The thing that would worry me a little bit is Van Dyke, because I think a lot of Liverpool's success has been predicated on wing ba- on fullbacks who can get forward and be attack minded because they had the safety blanket in the back. If Van Dyke isn't quite the same as what he was during the height of their run, that worries me a little bit, and that's not as fixable because players of that caliber don't come along very often. That's hard to find. But I don't know. I mean. Look, I still think, okay, maybe he's not quite what he was three years ago, but I'm not done with Mo Salah. I still think he's elite. Um, Jeez, he looks you know, lost sure, now. He looks lost sure they, right they, now. You know, they've spent a ton on attacking talent, and maybe that's a little bit weird in how they've gone about it, but there's certainly a lot of t- there's a lot of great players there, potentially. Like, I'm not somebody who's... Yeah, Darwin Nunez is raw. He's very raw. But I don't hate seeing a player like him, involved in so much. He's missed a ton of big chances, leads the Premier League in big chances. I think that that's... I would rather that than Lukaku, who's never involved, who's just a passenger, who 90 minutes go by, you don't know he's there. Nunez is a part of everything. You know, I'm excited to see what Gakpo becomes. I'm excited to see when Diego Jota comes back into the fold. So I'm not... uh, uh, I can't. I can't say that this is the end of an era. It might look a little bit different, I, if, if I were leaning one way or the other, I'm leaning more towards reset year as opposed to the end of something. I'm not there yet. I, I thought Klopp was interesting. He's doing the press conference. Of course, Liverpool have the replay in the Cup uh, this week. Um, so here's, uh, here's Jurgen Klopp just giving his feelings on, on the current situation at Liverpool. Not to the extent, but we're clear that they, that they will have some problems. And there will be an, uh, uh, another very important um, period of change, probably. Um, but because the injuries, it's much more than, than you could have expected. That's, that's a fact as well. So, but nobody is interested in it, and that's fine. Other teams are flying, and rightly so. They do extremely well, and that's fine. We were in that position a couple of years ago, or maybe last year, but that's fine. The only things we really have to offer is hard work. And then... I really think, and that's that's really great, and it was a, quite a, not sure if touching is the right word, but obviously we have a big community, I think, in Brighton, Liverpool supporters, it felt at least like that. Um, I have a super, <laughs> but it's a game where the crowd can turn against you, and they didn't. And that's a, as well the basis we have, and we have to work with that. We have to work with that, and we will. We respect that a lot, and not just saying, I mean it. We really respect that a lot. And everybody feels the responsibility. The boys feel the responsibility. There's nobody sitting there and putting a, well, I was okay, but he was not nothing. It's not there. But I don't see it. I don't hear it. I know it's not there. If it would be there, 
then the player would have a real problem. So that's the moment when the problems really start. Until then, we stay together, stick together and go. Yeah, I mean, he's he's kind of, he's living in it, if you know what I mean. He's He, he knows what's happening. He Like, he, he seemed pretty despondent. Um, I think I kind of like this attitude. But I like, no, before, after the game against Brighton, immediately after, he seemed quite despondent. But well, I, get I think that. His, his attitude is that this can be fixed and that they can be better and that the way they'll do it is by attacking the problem and giving it everything. But my question is, do some of these players have everything left to give? Like, I, I honestly think, you know, there's, there's some things you can't outrun. And there's some things that, you know, there's no amount of tactics. There's no amount of, you know, clever play. There's no amount of, of, of training can put miles back in legs where it's gone. Like, there was, there was a point where, you know, Addy Robertson was, had one of the most amount of touches on the ball of any player in the top five leagues in Europe. Like, he was constantly receiving the ball, those switches. He was up and down. Like, it's hard to keep that going. It yeah. was non-stop. And that Champions League side, you know, from May 2018 in Kiev, so many of that team, and then you added in uh, Fabinho, and then you added in Alisson, but so much of that team has played pretty much non-stop for the past five, six years. It's Well, they played 60 games last season? Yeah. And they had the most, most in wins. Europe. They had the most wins of any team in Europe. They also had 60 bloody games. Yeah. Like, takes a toll. Just, totally, totally reasonable to me that the team that played sixty games less than a year ago would be struggling through this season. That's but also totally they've had reasonable. a month. But they've also had a month off. Most of those players have had a month off. Andrew, come back and the energy's just not there. It's, it's the lack of buzz, the lack of energy. This was a team that used to just attack you from the start, like beat you into uh, submission. Is it most that had a month off? I mean, I mean, I know Salah did, but I'm just trying to, like, off the top of my head, go through the lineup. Well, I know Van Andy Dyke Robertson didn't. did. Kanati like, didn't. Robertson did. Alexander-Arnold hardly played. I mean, but he's in training every day. I mean, it's it's still not like a mindset thing. of, like, games. not being... But it's a mindset that you can't turn off. Henderson played a lot. Um, Oxlade-Chamberlain didn't. Gakpo played. Yeah, but, I mean, Gakpo's that bit younger, I suppose. Um... I suppose Darwin Nunez played too. Yeah, it's the majority. Allison. Mm. Yeah. It's the majority. Know. It's Liverpool. Come on. I wish anyway. there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. Andy Bernard, The Office. Well, I pre- it is poignant. Um, I prefer Marty from True Detective. Mm, I prefer As Andy know, Bernard. I'm obsessed with that that uh, that first season of True Detective. It was so good. Uh, uh, so we do... Misery we side as yeah. another club, JJ. Yeah. Um, I... This was their worst weekend in... <sighs> since, like, the 90s when they nearly actually went down. Was there not a worse weekend at some point last year? Let's not forget just how dire it was last year. They, not, the second not, to last week of the season, we still thought they might be going down. Yeah, but not to the point where the board were afraid to show up at Goodison Park for that, fear of uh, reprisals. Then after the game, you had players being confronted by supporters, which I have actually mixed views on. Um, I thought the Yerry Mina, where the Everton supporters confronted Yerry Mina, was... I got, like... 
someone said that his child was in the car and he had family in the car. To me, that's that's not good because they're probably no. wondering what what the hell is going on here. It felt like it was a at any moment now. It felt like had Yerry Mina not handled that situation as well as he did. And and everybody should go online and just go on Twitter and type in Yeri Mina and you can see, I'm sure you'll see right away what it is we're referring to. If he didn't diffuse it, if he didn't say the right things, it felt like that was just a tick away from turning into something that could have gotten potentially frightening. Wow, yeah. I mean there was they weren't they were aggressively He was beside passionate. himself with rage. The guy he was talking to. Yeah, he kept going, Show me that you care. Show me that you care. Show us some heart. You could be a hero for us. I felt it was, I felt it was just the right side of okay. Apparently, okay. Anthony Gordon had a horrible um, interaction with supporters. He was pretty much chased. Um, now you don't want that, but at the same time, <laughs> yeah. and there it is, folks. Tonight's understatement of the pod brought to you by <laughs> Under Armour. Um, <laughs> no, you look. You, obviously, you don't want those things. I, like I, I can't condone where the board don't feel safe going to the game. It, that is wild to me. I mean, that's not. It feels like a a low moment in an era of low moments. Sure, but that the fans can confront can still like we look at the Premier League. They're all in these mansions, Andrew. They're like unaccessible. They're they're so far beyond the days in the 1950s when the star striker lived around the corner from you and drank beers with your dad, mm-hmm. you know, even though he was the most famous man in the city. Like, I kind of like the idea that the fans and, and and Yerry Mina can have this interaction, albeit I recognize what you're saying, how it could turn like that. Uh, I suppose what heartens me about something like that is that there's no there's nothing else in the world like football. Like, there isn't. Like, if we go to the ballet, me and you, we go to the ballet, right, afterwards, mm. and we go, oh, God, that Swan Lake, that wasn't as good as the Swan Lake we saw last year, Andrew. We don't go out the back and go to them, what was wrong with your pirouette? Show me some passion in your pirouette. What was Speak wrong for with yourself. Swan Lake? You know, you just won't do that. Like, if you see a bad play, you'll probably go away and bitch about it on Twitter. <laughs> But like football, you know, it's such a part of these communities that you're go- you're gonna go and you're gonna you're gonna seek out a six foot five Colombian and make him say that he will give his life for the club. Yeah, which is just he said that he said he those words, and it he felt did. like he needed to, or else. Well, I'll say this: the the one element of the interaction. Look, I, I thought the interaction was. Um, I get what you're saying. I don't know. To me, it felt. It just felt a little like it could blow at any moment, and that just made me generally nervous watching it. Yeah. I'll say this about it. The message that was being delivered, while I might have been a little bit uncomfortable with, with sort of like the ferocity with which it was being delivered and the fact that Mina's family reportedly was there, yeah. um, which, which heightens the drama of it a little bit. Um, I'll say this, though. The actual content of the message... I do I do kind of appreciate. I mean that yeah. fan is basically trying to impress upon Yerry Mina like you don't get it. You don't none of you guys you don't get this. All right? Like you go down and what happens? You get sold to some other club and you continue to live your millionaire lifestyle and you play football for a living and it doesn't matter to you. But this we live with this. Like you go down and you get to disappear into your life and go to some other club. That what are we what ha, what are we left with? 
I think that's the message that he was shouting at him, screaming at him. And, and I think, yeah, I think most fans can, can actually appreciate that sentiment a little bit. This idea of like, do the players care? Yes. Like, are we sure? Like, I, I think that I think more of them do than we give them credit for. But oftentimes, as fans, when our teams are losing, it's and like, and we're exposed to like the admin tweeting out a video of the guys joking around in training, and like that's our vision of what's going on there in a moment of crisis at a club. Like, we we can't tell. Well, do they? Like, do they care? Like we do. And, they also, and so, like, I understand the frustration of that, of, of like, you, you all get to live your, your lives, and, like, this thing that we care so much about, like, we're the ones left with this mess, and, like, and that's how it goes. I, I get I that. Yeah, I get that, too. And me and you vividly remember when, because we covered it on the pod, when Aston Villa were just basically, they were going down, and they lost, was it, to Wickham in the Cup? And the Aston Villa supporters are just raging because it's just this awful season. They're getting relegated and now they're out of the FA Cup. And was it Jolene Lescott just tweets a picture of a BMW, like this yep. unbelievable car. Now he said he pocket dialed tweeted it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was that sense of, yeah, this doesn't matter. Yeah, you can shout all the abuse you want at me, whatever, because I put in a bad performance. Who cares about your team? Because look at the money I have. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I I agree with you. I think I think fans want to be reassured that they care and they get served such dreck now from social media. How many times have we seen, uh, you know, and you know it's been written by someone for them because sometimes they copy paste and it says, tweet something like, <laughs> and it's like uh, fans were fantastic today we gave 100% it wasn't good enough but we will fix this and then a heart emoji or something like that so when you see a real interaction like that it, it, it kind of it's it, very it has, human it is very human it is yeah. it does have that human touch uh, I should say that the BBC said that um, no threats or incidents were reported to officers prior to Everton's game on Saturday amid safety concern for its board of directors, police have said. Everton FC said the board missed the match against Southampton due to a real incredible threat. The club said directors were advised not to attend Goodison Park following threatening car- threatening correspondence. Merseyside police said it was in contact with the club to establish if, if any offences had taken place. In a statement, the police force said no threats or incidents were reported to police prior to the game but we are in communication with the club to establish if any offences have taken place and to ensure that any future reports are received through existing channels. So that received through existing channels suggests to me that whatever was said to the Everton board or whatever sense they had, they did not report it to the police, which I'm kind of shocked at con- considering the the big deal they made of it prior to the game. Yeah, yeah, that is a little bit odd. I don't know. I, I guess a threat maybe can be subjective in terms sure. of like what you perceive to be a threat versus what was actually said. Sure, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Um, but I would imagine that Merseyside, I would imagine the response would have been, Merseyside police have been made aware of threats to the Everton board uh, and are currently investigating none of that. So a um, li- little bit odd. Uh, as for the game, Andrew, that's just one, especially when they take the lead you know, that's so deflating. And you wonder now, who are Everton going to beat? That is an entirely fair question. I mean, Southampton at home with a lead. 
yeah, I mean, right now they're respectively their 19th and 20th tied on points with 15 um, Everton ahead on goal difference Southampton uh, minus 17 Everton minus 11 I mean these you can make a case that what we witnessed over the weekend between these two were the two worst teams in the league which is uh, imagine saying that about Everton we, we can at least point under Nathan Jones a, a kind of a an upward trajectory of sorts where you know they had that brilliant game against Southampton against Manchester City in the cup a cup quarter final that was huge and then they bounce into the league and they they go away to Everton and they still win now albeit with a, another James Ward Prowse free kick which I mean just they were worth their weight in gold those free kicks it's he's so good it's he ridiculous so, can, it's ridiculous can, let's have a slight tangent here Andrew um so the the most goals direct from a free kick in Premier League history. I will break my own rule and we'll just do, deal with the Premier League. So at number one is David Beckham with 18 goals. James Ward Prowse has 16. Assuming Southampton stay up or he goes to another Premier League club, he's going to just absolutely destroy that from, a, from David Beckham. I mean, he's on 16 already. Uh, some some yeah, interesting he, one, C- Cristiano Ronaldo. When he used to actually be good at it, he has he has twelve goals. He's in third. Thierry Henry. Oh, excuse me. It's a it's a it's number three is twelve goals. Number four is twelve goals. Uh, Henry is at four. Number five is twelve goals. Gianfranco Zola. Sebastian Larsson is on is on eleven in sixth, which was a surprising one for me. Lauren Robert. He also has eleven. Former Newcastle player. Morton Gamps Pedersen has 10. Ian Hart has 10. And Frank Lampard has 9. I mean, Ward Prowse, he's 28. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. So I made a list, JJ, and I want your help with this. Go on. I, I'm putting you on the spot. Uh, and our, I want our listeners, the animals, uh, everybody can, can feel free to help with this. I tried to identify if you're an opponent, let's say you're, you're the opposition. What are the three most frightening sentences you can hear as a sports fan? And I've kind of, right now, I've, I've got it. These are my three. Okay. Uh, the first one is Curry open for three. I think if you're the opposition, like you hear that and you're just like, oh, F, that's good. Um, this one, I'm kind of cheating here because this guy, he retired. But just the feeling of here comes Rivera to close it out. I think if you're the opposition, you think, well, this game's over. We lost. Right. Like, why even watch the bottom of the ninth? And then I have Ward Prowse stands over the free kick as the third most frightening sentence you can hear in sports. It's ridiculous. And that's why, and so I, with that in mind, and if you think of any others, please tell me. But uh, Derek, like, G, Derek Jeter, it's, a bo- it's, um, it's the bottom of the ninth, and the Yankees are behind, and up comes Jeter. Yeah, or bases loaded, bonds at the plate. Yeah, like you know, like that. But that's where we are with, and it's James Ward Prowse again. You know, like I have my list of Andrew's people, and like he's he's on that team. Uh, you know, we've, I've talked about that for a number of years now. I'm a fan, but like, I mean, if there's a Premier League Hall of Fame, a Hall of Fame, which there is now, but like, I don't know that he's. I like the guy. I think he's he's great. He's great at this. He's un, he's outrageous. The best we've ever seen. But like, I don't know that he's a Hall of Famer. And we're talking about like him in the same class as Steph Curry and Mariano Rivera and Barry Bonds. Like this is he's a freak show. Oh, this yeah. is crazy. Uh, what I would love, I, I I'm not sure it's being done. 
has anyone like done a video with him about his process and like maybe how much he trains because those videos were done with Beckham and Beckham used to say he would he would take a bag of balls after training and he'd spend two hours and he'd put them on the left right work all the way over work from the 18 work out like 25 yards and take like hundreds of free kicks and work on his technique and 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 what he that, said was, that must be what it takes. Well, it is. You don't get good he, at this by accident. And he's a very distinct way of striking the ball as well. So uh, here's what I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Um. So, how much is this a thing that weighs on the opposition's mind? And I ask that because if you think about the play that led to Ward Prowse taking that free kick, what is Anthony Gordon doing? Oh. He's so late. He comes flying in with a challenge that's never going to get the ball. He's he's two seconds late. Smashes into Adams, and here we go. Look where it is. It's a free kick just like tailor-made for Ward-Prowse. And I'm just wondering, like, if you're Everton, are you thinking about when, when the ball is anywhere within like a 25-yard radius of the goal? Is that a thing in your mind of, I can't, I can't go into a challenge here because, like, I'm basically, it's almost like giving them a penalty with this oh, guy that they have. There's no way before the game that they won't have talked about, look, guys, whatever we do, it's going to be big. Stay on your feet 25-35. Shepherd them down the line. Take them inside. Don't give away any soft free kicks. And they'll have, it, they'll have that area marked out where that can't happen. It yeah. will have been t- discussed. But in the heat of battle, where you think the ball is there to be nicked away, or in Gordon's case... You make a totally rash challenge. It's too late. And then he's got it and you're in trouble. And you're in trouble whether he's delivering or you're in trouble where he's, whether he's taking a shot. It's incredible to watch. I mean, it's, it's honestly now like... It's funny because Southampton are bottom. And yet they have this element of them that is must-watch television. Like <laughs> when, when a free kick, when a foul is committed within 30 yards, you cannot go to the bathroom. You can't. Like you've got to watch. Why don't we create an app the, that alerts people when they're taking a free kick? Like almost J-W- like a red zone channel, but specifically devoted to James Ward Prowse free kicks. JWP. And um, what should the alert noise be? Like uh, like a, a whistle blow. Crowd. No, the crowd. The crowd noise from one from the goal against Wolves last last year. Something like that. And uh, and it should your phone should automatically vibrate, and you got to get yourself to a TV straight away. It's unbelievable. And look back to the Everton side of it. I mean, it, you know, some of this is self inflicted. Some of this, like your your heart breaks for them a little bit. I mean, Calvert Lewin hitting like the underside of the crossbar. Um, yeah, I don't know. I this this weekend felt seismic in a few ways one it felt like it really crystallized arsenal as as the true title favorite um and i think the other thing that it crystallized is that for me right now everton are they're going down i don't i don't see a clear pathway to them avoiding this they they were able to squeak by last year they didn't get better and so i think i don't know can you can you can you tempt fate like that multiple times in a row? I don't, I don't, I don't have a good feeling about this. No, um, it's funny you should mention it. One of the Adams, uh, one of the Adams, one of the animals, 
uh, Funkin' Freedom <laughs> on the Reddit, he goes, anybody else just keep hearing they can't go down in JJ's voice whilst watching Everton this weekend? It's getting real. It's much... Last year was was pretty real, but this this feels like a tailspin, and I can't see how they win a game. I can't see how they get out of it. And yeah. unless they there's any way they can make some kind of super signing... <laughs> I mean, who's going there, though? Like, who wants... They're a club headed for potential relegation. Is there... I mean, can you think of a difference-making player that's going to sign up for that? That's going to want to go there? Not that... No, that's... Exactly. That's going to want to go there, that they can afford, all those things. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. (laughs) We've got got a bunch of friends that's going to be... It's going to be a rough few months for them. It's going to be... I mean, we talk about the stress of, you know... Liverpool, I don't know that I think this might be a rough year. Oh Tottenham, I don't top four. We don't we don't know what stress is. This is stress. <sighs> They're staring at it, man. Uh let's see, one other one. I mean my god, we one haven't other even one. gotten to like, I haven't even gotten to like the the main event. Um the Manchester Derby. What oh man. Unbelievable stuff. So you did the rundown, JJ, and you 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 cut right to the chase here. I mean, you were not messing around. You dove right into the first question. You said, before we even get to the game, are you united in a title race? Nine points back, JJ, with 20 to play. Uh, right now, I, I think we're allowed to say that this is fluid. As I sit here right now... Oh, my God, you sound like a general. We're in a fluid state right now. It is. It's very fluid. And as I sit Things here are now, happening. there's a lot I, of moving parts. Right now, they are not. I don't believe that they are right now. But that can change. Like to be in a title race, the way that I kind of see it is one one of two things have to be true. I feel like you have to be within six points because it can turn on two games, or you have to be Manchester City, to whom the rules don't apply. Like, and right now, Manchester United don't tick those boxes. But like we mentioned, they have Arsenal coming up. This can this can change. They can get to within that six point radius, and if Only they do, to beat Arsenal. Yeah, and if they get within that radius, then now we we can have a new conversation. That's where I'm at. If United win, uh, if they beat Crystal Palace uh, away on Wednesday, and then they bounce into that game against Arsenal at the weekend on Sunday, if they can beat Arsenal on Sunday, that's that now then we're going to have a conversation but that said they 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 played they played really well at the weekend and we can go straight to the 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 equalizer that they scored and just straight out say it let's be honest there's no way in hell that goal should stand the idea that Marcus Rashford is in some way not interfering is ridiculous i've and seen the, guys do far less and it's ruled, uh, you know, goals that are scored because a guy's impeding a goalkeeper from like three, you know, yards away from him, not really doing anything. I've seen those goals taken off. You know, the weird thing about it, JJ, is like I've kind of scoured Twitter and the internet, and you get all like the the refereeing analysts, Christina Uncle, Dale Johnson. Oh, she, they, what is she they're all in agreement. About? They all agree that it was the right call to get, to allow it. So. I mean, I agree with you. I've watched it over and over again. Everything about it feels wrong to me. I mean, Rashford, it, he's hes clearly an active member of the play. Like, 
I don't know, like he doesn't touch the ball, but I, I almost feel like that's an arbitrary measure by whether or not a player is involved in the play. He's completely involved. He couldn't be much more active. But at a certain point, though, like, are we, do we have to, like, concede defeat here? If everyone, if every person who's a so-called expert in officiating is telling us it's fine, are we, are we, is something wrong with us? Can we continue to say no? I know better than you. If there's, I'm if there's right. A, if there, if there's a way that you can uh, spin that out of the rules, then the rules are wrong. Like honestly, <laughs> like that, like that, the the interpretation of offside is atrocious. If that's the case, um, yeah. Um, but I don't, he, I don't want Man United. No, I can hear Man United fans barreling towards this, towards our uh, our Twitter at CO Soccer Pod on Twitter, caught offside pod on the Instagram, and then caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com in the emails and I can hear them being upset let me tell you guys you were more than value for your win regardless of that very weird goal uh, that happened to be the equaliser I thought United were the better team for most of that game City did have their purple patches of control but if you look at the two chances Rashford had in the first half two brilliant moves um like the one where Ederson comes flying out. Maybe that's not a brilliant move, but like he goes around Ederson, could have scored. And then there's the quick play when the uh, City attack breaks down and Rashford's in and he just takes a horrible touch and runs it into Ederson. Like that, those could have been two goals. City, outside of the goal that they scored, what did they offer? Not much at all. Um, and did, uh, you know, like they couldn't find Haaland couldn't find him yeah. it was it, it was one of those where ah there are some times when this does not work and it's not that Hallam was doing anything wrong he was just making lots of runs but the ball never was played it never came City were happy to do this kind of attritional sideways passing keep possession of the ball except they they coughed it up and United could break um, City were just in that in that mode that we've seen them recently where they're yeah, they've got lots of the ball, but just like Southampton in the Cup, you don't feel like they're going to do anything with it. And um, now, granted, the goal came out of out of nowhere. It's a brilliant run by uh, by Haaland. I thought Casemiro was actually poor on it. He tracks the run, goes to engage him with the shoulder when he should have just focused on trying to cut the cross out. Stands it up, Grealish just onto the field, nods home. And then I thought City were going to go on. But United, to their credit, they 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 were able to they were able to work their way back in and win the game and I think generally they were better in what they were trying to do and there was one thing that was really good was any time Silva Bernardo Silva or Kevin De Bruyne would enter a zone they'd be picked up uh, they'd be picked up and um, I thought I thought Fred did a great job f- for the most part on on Kevin De Bruyne and it's just really good tactics from from Ten Hag again. Like, recognising, if we press these all out, they'll cut us open. So we're going to have to play within ourselves a little bit, and then, when we break, we'll use Rashford's pace. And honestly thought, um, regardless of what you say about the, the offside goal, I thought United were, were well, well worth their win. Rashford. This is, I mean, it, look, if the Premier League had some sort of comeback player of the year award, uh, is there anyone even close? to this guy for for the way he's resurrected his career in the span of several months he's no, a different I mean, he's a different person 
than he was a year ago. I'm trying to nail uh, or tie all the elements together. And I think, I don't want to say that, you know, in 2020 he was too busy and too distracted taking on the British government for to make sure that no, we, we talked about this when Gary Neville basically said it for you. Yeah. I just felt I uncomfortable telling a guy to stop focusing on the, the important things like changing the world. Yeah. And focus on your football. <laughs> um, Ronaldo not being there kind of helps a player like Rashford. Definitely. Um, also injuries, you know, he he had some he had some he had the shoulder, he had he had injuries that kept him out for a while and niggling injuries and he never seemed to get away from them. And I gotta say, in the first half when he pulled up on the sideline after his chance, I thought, oh, he's going off. This is a disaster. But he didn't. He came out at half time. He was back on the field, so that that was a positive sign as well. Maybe maybe it's maybe it's never just one thing with a striker, Andrew. Maybe it's a whole load of things put together. Yeah. I'm sure. Uh, Statman Dave tweeted about Marcus Rashford against Man City. 29 touches, 4 for 4 on ground duels, 1, 3 shots on target, 2 tackles, 1, 1 key pass, 1 goal. Uh, he's he, he is forcing himself upon these games in a positive way. It's, it's, really, it's been fun to watch. It really has. What, what are you showing me here? Uh, I, I, I just dug this up. Um, Football Joe, uh, someone edited Rashford out of Fernandez's goal, and it really makes you think. Um, I don't know if you can see this, Andrew. No, huge glare. Oh, apologies for the glare. Uh, it's send it to me. Uh, yeah, it's basically a kanji. <laughs> now you can question uh, you can question Ederson on that goal. You can question a kanji too, um, but that is like just the idea that Rashford wasn't uh, interfering or somehow was. Not involved is just yeah. I mean, Dale Johnson. He he basically goes through. There, there's four laws that right that Rashford would have to be in violation of one of them. To, I'll give you the cliff notes. There's three of them that he doesn't see any issue with. He says the real case for discussion is about Ederson and whether his actions would have changed had Rashford not been there. 100%. Perhaps, but Rashford doesn't impact the goalkeeper's ability to come and play the ball. He may affect his choice to do so and how he might shape for a save, but the law doesn't discuss how a player might behave differently if the offside player isn't present. It only discusses the ability of an opponent to play the ball. And I guess therein lies what you said, JJ. Well, then the rule is wrong. And this, I guess, would be the example of it. Yeah, it um, needs to, that needs to be cleared up. But, but again, again, just I, I, we can't risk the ire. Well, the United, the United fans are feeling good right now. Which is why I'll say this. Um, and then I have one other thing on City, but I want to get this in there while you're mentioning what you just said there. With regards to United, I said before that this weekend was seismic for Arsenal because they're going to win the title. It's seismic for Everton because they're going down. I'll say this. This weekend, I think, was seismic for Manchester United in that they're back. They're back now. And, and I mean that because, and I really feel that way for a couple reasons. Um, they've gone through other, like, it'd be, for whatever this era has been, the, the disappointment of this era has been, they have had patches where they've played well at times. But 
there was always a thing kind of hanging over it that never really allowed United fans or the media or fan, neutral fans at large to really get excited about them. There was always something negative there, whether it was having a polarizing manager in, in Solskjaer who people didn't think was up for that job, whether it was Harry Maguire in defense, a guy that was just always a punching bag for United fans, or Ronaldo who was there, who was polarizing for fans, who, who some people didn't thought he was destroying the club by being... There was always a thing. There was always some reason to just not feel good about what was going on at that club. For the life of me right now, I look at them, JJ, I don't know what that thing is. And sometimes I feel like you can just see the the momentum of a club where finally that fresh new beginning that it feels like they've been craving, it feels like it's here now. With a manager that everyone's behind, that everybody thinks he, you know he's paid his dues, he's won at Ajax, he has a good resume, like he belongs there. No one feels like he's he's out of place. They've removed the shadow of Ronaldo, Rashford. Their young hope is back, looking like an elite, world class talent. I'm not saying they won't go through other bumps. I'm sure that'll happen. I just said a moment ago, I don't think they're in a title chase right now. Um, but it feels like I don't know. It feels like the darkness for them of the last ten years or so. We knew it wasn't going to last forever. I kind of feel like they're exiting it. I kind of feel like it's it's good days ahead for them. Maybe I'm overreacting, but that's where I'm at right now. We'll see. Um, and then the one other thing I wanted to say about Manchester City is you would ask the question of what's going wrong here, what's up with Man City. Um, I'll say this because I'm seeing a lot of different things. I don't know exactly, but I'll tell you what it what it isn't. I don't know. Maybe this is too simplistic, but you're just, people are just going to have to excuse me if I'm going to look elsewhere before I lay blame at the doorstep of the guy who has scored 21 goals in 17 games for this club. Because I'm already, again, seeing Holland's name brought up as part of a problem. No. And, and, and I, I mean, if you I, don't find him with the ball, he's part of the problem. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and I think therein lies more of the problem. Um, but I, I, I not, nope, look elsewhere. I can't. I can't say that. I think it's if that's what people want to point the finger, then I think their priorities are a little mixed up because that guy has been he's been phenomenal for them. Where would they be without him right now? Um, you got anything else on this one? No, uh, I have a few things before we get to red cards and man of the matches. Oh, oh, well, by all means, uh, just a couple of things. Uh, so we will be talking about West Ham United soon, Andrew. They are they're in serious bother. Uh, they currently are in the bottom three uh, on 15 points uh, no wins in their last five just you, you wonder how long David Moyes can hang on in here and especially considering you know the outlay of money in the summer 160 million for them to be in that position after the season they had last season is not good um, Leeds as well losing to Aston Villa and then for we, we, we said at the start we said it last season we said it at the start of this season say less Jesse Marsh um, the fans were you know calling for his head again we have heard it before away fans are always going to be very vocal um, for him to say then that he felt that was their most complete performance under him whether whether you believe that or not just don't say it just don't say it um, yeah I, I I feel like I feel like the, the Leeds board will wait out a little bit longer, but, but Moyes and Marsh, they can really be feeling the heat as well. Uh, yeah, I would agree with, with both of those things, especially Moyes. Um, for where West Ham were so recently, 
18th in the table just doesn't that doesn't feel like where they should be right now. No, correct. But by the same token, some of what he's done with them over the last couple of years is probably what buys him more time to get out of this. True, too. Uh, so, which I understand. Uh, I get that. Um, all right. Should we, uh, should we do a little of uh, those things that we do near the ends of podcasts, JJ? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do this then. Red card. Shall I go first? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we're beginning with our red cards, Andrew. Um, mm-hmm. Let's let's go for me with uh, the whole situation surrounding uh, Jolinton. The mm. uh, Eddie Howe made a decision to play him this weekend against a Fulham. He was arguably man of the match in the game. He's one of their key players. He's also a man who was arrested on Thursday night for drink driving. Uh, This is what Eddie Howe had to say about um, the situation. I had a long meeting with my coaching staff yesterday afternoon after training where we debated the whole scenario. Ultimately, I have to make the decision, and I did. I didn't underestimate what Joe did, but there's a whole host of things to consider around it, and I felt this was the right call at that moment. Um, What this says for how you treat a player who has had an infraction as bad as that... uh, I don't know. What message that sends to the rest of the dressing room, I'm not sure. The message it sends to me is that Eddie Howe doesn't care. And whatever is going to keep this winning streak going, that's all he's, he's interested in. Uh, morals be damned. Ethics be damned. Even team discipline be damned. We'll get this guy in. We'll have him playing. Um, I, 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 di- I didn't like it, really. I, I, there's got to be something where... You know, a line where you say, beyond these points of breaches of discipline, something has to happen. You know, Marcus Rashford turns up late for a meeting. A meeting, not a game, a meeting midweek. And he's dropped and he doesn't start against Wolves. Joe Linton is out after a game until on a Thursday night until 1.20 a.m. or whatever it was when he was arrested. And he's arrested for drink driving. And he starts? I don't know. Doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. It really doesn't. Yeah. Now, if you're asking me what is the what is the correct thing to do, I don't know like specifically what way to address something like that would be, how long the ban should be, but the club should not be playing someone who's just done that uh, 48 hours after. It shouldn't. Yeah. You'll be proud to know that I benched him on my fantasy team. I wasn't having it. I mean, that's we know you are the disciplined daddy. You... you, you he You're sat, and I, and I paid for it. I could have used those points. I'm you making are. light of it. I, obviously, what he did was it's terrible. It's horribly dangerous, and I agree with you. I, I was surprised uh, a little bit that uh, that he started for them. And, and Eddie Howe didn't have to do that. Yeah. But we know we know why he did it. Why? To ensure the win. Oh, okay. That's simple. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe you're right. Um, all right, my red card, JJ, I was a little bit conflicted with this, but I'll be curious for your thoughts. Um, Macclesfield announced on Thursday that they've allowed forward Tom Clare to leave the club temporarily to appear on the reality dating show Love Island. Game's gone. Game's gone. Game's gone. Clare joined the club in 2021 and helped his team to win the Northwest County's Premier Division to earn promotion to the eighth tier of the English football pyramid. Um 
He was the club's top goal scorer last season. Signed a new deal in the summer until 2024, but now he's going to obviously depart mid-season to take part in this TV show, which is going to be in South Africa. Uh, here's what the club said about it. Tom approached us with the request a number of weeks ago, and we were happy to show the same loyalty that he has to us since becoming one of our first ever signings back in 2021, Macclesfield said in a statement on Thursday. Despite the fact that we're disappointed to lose a player of Tom's caliber for the foreseeable future, we also recognize the incredible opportunity that this represents for both him and his family on a personal level. So I made it my red card. Um, and two things. One... I'm kind of I'm kind of debating my own red card, and I maybe need your help. It's a huge chance for him. He's going to make potentially out of it way more money than he will playing for Macclesfield. Yeah, that's Um, the thing. Is like they're in the eighth tier. His future is not really in this sport. When you're in the eighth tier, it's even if you're their club, the club's leading goal scorer. It's just not. So, but maybe maybe it serves everyone's interests. Both him and maybe the club, if like, by the way, we're talking about Macclesfield right now on this podcast. That's a first. Right. And that's happening all over the world right now because of this. So like, it might be a weird reason, but suddenly it's a club that you're aware of and people are aware of. That helps you when you're in the eighth tier. But to just be known, it's helpful. I, I, I do think there's, you know, there's a little bit of context as well. This was a team that, you know, were... In the English Football League, they, they this was a team that were in the pyramid, that were a full time professional side, and went through serious financial difficulties, and were wound up as as the original Macclesfield from eighteen what eighteen seventy four or something. Um, let me see, yeah, eighteen seventy four. So, you know, I don't know. It feels diminishing to them, <laughs> you know, to their great history. To have this guy go off, what's he going to do? I mean, and, and, and also boyhood dreams, right? It doesn't matter what level it's at. You dream of going there's, around the there's keeper. A, there's a couple of boyhood on, dreams going on here. There's other types of boyhood dreams, yeah. And those boyhood dreams are wandering Careful. around in short shorts with your top off, glistening while you look at other attractive ladies and possibly maybe even kiss them. <laughs> I just... yeah. Different kind know. of boyhood dream. So, <laughs> um, so the other thing I wanted to ask you now, uh, I want to debut a new segment on this podcast. I think that the two most annoying words in in maybe all sports are they're in soccer, and it's what we said at the start of this game's gone. For some reason, I find that phrase to be nails on a chalkboard. It's right there with speaking truth to power for me that just kind of makes me cringe when I hear it. Game's gone. Game's gone. It's so overused. People use it for the most minute, nothing nonsense that in no way phases anyone in this sport, but people can't wait to just parade that line out there like they know what's right for this sport. It drives me crazy. So I I promise, JJ, the next time we do this, I'm going to have a a whole jingle and everything ready. But I figured we'd start it tonight where the, the basis of this basically is I'm going to ask you something from this sport and you have to tell me if it's a sign that game the game's gone or not and oh, I guess I love it I and love so we'll it. start we'll start with this a player leaving his club mid-season to go take part in a in a reality TV show game's gone oh game's gone I, I need you to have proper football men with thick accents saying game's gone yeah as part of the jingle game's gone for this one though this is classic game's gone <laughs> 
this is the, this is the essence of games gone. By the way, some of the other phrases that you really hate, you hate truth to power. Oh, that drives me nuts. By the uh, way, I, I should I always have to clarify this. I don't hate the idea of speaking truth to power. But the phrase, I just don't like the phrase. I you know what one I hate? Um any variation of so I can be my authentic self. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Really yeah. don't like that one. Yeah. And there was one that um uh Ivanka Trump had and I I can't it's just totally made up. Uh, architecting. Where we've been just I architecting. I don't know if I'm quite familiar with that. Yeah, architecting, she said. Kind of made it a word. Okay. Oh, yeah. and, and my my other one which loads of people use as well. Oh, I'm manifesting that for you. Oh, I'm manifesting that for myself. Oh. I don't think I've heard that one either. Manifesting. Oh, it's a big one. All the kids are using it. All right. I'll take your word for it. All right. Um, so there you go. That's Games Gone. That was Red Card. And now we do this. Caught Offside's Man of the Match. Um, can I do my one first, please? Uh, yeah. Uh, it was beautiful, Andrew. Absolutely beautiful. For those of us who really don't like Juventus and who really want Napoli to win this title. Uh, Napoli on Friday gave Juventus a right shellacking. A 5-1. Uh, Victor Oshimen with two goals. Uh, Rapmani with one goal. Uh, Elmas with another. And Kavaratskaya with the other. Oh, and yeah. it, it, he's, uh, he's something. Oh, he's fantastic. Uh, Di Maria with the, I suppose, consolation goal. For although it was a goal scored at 2 1, so it doesn't count technically as a consolation goal, but it was 5 1. And, um, yeah, let's uh, let's hear uh, Kavaritskaya's goal, the call for that goal, because there's uh, there's some interesting interesting context in that. Lorenzo around the corner by Politano. This is Osiman, he'll get there too. Osiman can square it. Kvaratskaya! it might just be their year, and perhaps. 33 years of hurt, drifting away. Napoli have a two-goal cushion. 1989, 33 years, Andrew. That would be the gap that Napoli are bridging here. They're currently nine points clear with the same amount of games played, 18 games played. Of uh, They're ahead of um, uh, Milan with uh, Juventus in third on 37 points. Uh, points Milan 38 and Napoli on 47 can they do it I really want them to because I think they've been so consistently good to watch for the last what would you say seven years yeah from Sarri uh, I want this so badly for them and for the town uh, I <laughs> I watched the um Although I've never been, I want this for a town I've never been to. But I watched Maradona on the on my flight to Ireland at Christmas again. Um, Asif Kapedi's uh, brilliant Maradona film about his time at Napoli, and um, yeah, it would be just amazing if they did it. You know, for the south of the country, for them, just their supporters. It feels like a one of the real, true romantic stories that's left in top-flight professional football. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd like to see them do it too. It does feel like that this has been building. And the other thing about this is that don't you worry just the nature of this sport? It kind of feels like if they don't do it now, 
it won't happen because they'll be they're going to be pillaged. I feel like in the transfer window. Well, I over thought the their summer. chance had gone. I thought their chance had gone. Like they had. You look. They had um, all the players they've had: Hamsik, Insigne, uh, Therese Mertens, all those guys over the years, and and uh, they 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 hung on to most of those fellas, and they just kind of aged out, and they sold them to MLS teams. Um. <laughs> <laughs> And so I, I, I thought the chance had gone. I thought, but like they've replenished. Yeah. Oshiman's been a revelation. Kvaratskhaya, they've nipped him from under the noses of all the top clubs. Um, and, and you know, Anguissa in midfield, they've made something out of him. Yeah. <sighs> oh, yeah. I want this. I want this so badly for them. Napoli. My last question for you. Um, in terms of the, I know everyone is is very focused, of course, on the title races. I, I've always been a little more fixated on the the handshake of the year, and right now we've got a great battle brewing. JJ, which handshake do you enjoy more, the Conte Tuchel one from earlier, where they grabbed hands and and no one would let go, and it was like a battle of hands, or this one with Spalletti. Basically chasing Allegri down the tunnel to get to him to shake his hand in some sort of... I don't know if that's like showing him up somehow, but it's it was hilarious to see. Which one do you prefer? The chase down or the, the lock hands? Um, The chase. The chase? Okay. The unrequited love of the chase. <laughs> um, yeah, I like that one. I don't know if the unrequited love was on both sides. It felt uh, Spalletti. like Spalletti just needed Allegri to see. I need you to look at me. You need to yeah. face me. <laughs> yeah, and there's, you know, we know about um, machismo in, in Italian culture and honor and notions of honor. I'm sure that's a big part of it, too. Uh, Spalletti said, Allegri has a problem with me <laughs> afterwards. Um, uh, Spalletti suggested in yesterday's press conference that the investments made by Juventus mean they have to target the Scudetto or the Champions League this season. So Allegri has asked if he wants to reply to the Napoli coach. No, because it's good to joke and to take the drama and external tension out, as it is a game of football, a wonderful atmosphere, and we hope it will be an entertaining evening for everyone. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know if the Juventus fans found it to be an entertaining evening, but... Certainly didn't. Certainly yeah. didn't. But that's... um. That's a league worth watching it, uh, and and for for many of the last few years, it's been because of Napoli. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, let's see, JJ, my man of the match, Barcelona. Boy, we, we there was a there was a, a Clasico this weekend. Barcelona defeated Real Madrid three one to win this year's Spanish Super Cup, and give Xavi his first trophy since becoming manager. Uh, Gavi, Lewandowski, and Pedri scored. Uh, Benzema got a consolation goal late, but the game was. Well in hand at that point. It really uh, did nothing other than just add another goal to his tally. Gavi, JJ, God almighty. I mean, it's it's all happening. Two assists in this game, and he became the youngest scorer in a Spanish Super Cup with his goal, surpassing, you know who? The youngest scorer in a Spanish Super Cup. Go on. His own manager, Xavi. Wow. How about that? Yeah, and, and it was great that, you know... It was played in that traditional home of of Spanish football, Saudi Arabia. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, but Barcelona right now, I mean, this is kind of, you know, those three goal scorers, those guys playing well, this is kind of how you draw it up. And they're in this, I mean, they're in this moment where they just, they take home this trophy, which I'm sure will give them some kind of lift, certainly. They've just taken the lead atop the table in La Liga with Real Madrid stumbling and Barcelona continuing to win. Um 
you know, like we talked about on the last pod, they've God, JJ, in 16 games in the league, they've conceded just six goals this season. Um, and you know, it's interesting too because Carlo Ancelotti he he spoke afterwards because this was described in some circles uh, that Real Madrid were embarrassed in this game. That uh, I forget some of the other words used, but they were they were basically all along those lines that this was an embarrassment. And Ancelotti, I mean, he full throatedly rejected that notion. Uh, that this was any kind of embarrassment. He basically said, look, it's Barcelona. They played well. They beat us just like we beat them 3-1 back in mid-October. Like, that's, there's nothing embarrassing about this. So, Don, Don, If you look at his resume, Don Carlo has been around the block so many times. I mean, games, like, defeats must just not hurt that way anymore unless they're massive European Cup finals or something. Yeah, which this was not. Um, I mean, look, this is kind of one of those trophies that I feel like you can – the teams involved will be the ones who apply meaning to it sort of like how i always felt about like when the u.s beat mexico in the in the uefa nations league like that only needs to be as important as we kind of as everyone in the game decides it is and like that game turned out to be an epic and so it lives forever you know when barcelona real madrid meet regardless of what it is there's there's more meaning to it uh but by no means is is this a game that you look at as something that's a turning point in real madrid season that it's going to sink them i still think that this is going to be a great title race all the way to the end between those two teams they're both so good um It'll just be interesting to see how Barcelona being out of the Champions League impacts it, if that's just something that they don't have to worry about. They can rotate the squad for the Europa League, stay fresh for La Liga. We'll see. Meanwhile, Real Madrid are going to fully go for this thing, of course, in the Champions League and defend their title. But uh, Barcelona right now are in this, they're in a moment right now where they're making a bit of a statement. And um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But congrats to them, Spanish Super Cup champions uh, for 2023, Barcelona. So, uh, So there you go, my friend. That's the pod. Yeah, that's that's the pod. That's a big one. It's, it's a, a big boy. It's, it's a beefy one. And if you want more content, you can watch the highlights of last week's mailbag over on our YouTube. So go yeah, and subscribe a, over there. And, saw a uh, lot of reaction to that. People, uh, people really into the Jay Z story, which I I was conf- it was confirmed by the way from multiple people that that story has been told before. S- I knew it. So- sorry, you got that wrong, guys. You really did. You don't care. But it's worth telling again. It's a good one. It's a good you don't one. care. Truth means nothing to you. But you know what I do? I speak truth to power. Ugh. That's what I do. Hey, this was fun, JJ. To you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. I'll see you, man. See ya. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 